The Canucks are getting set for one of the marquee games on their schedule this Saturday against the dreaded Toronto Maple Leafs, or maybe delightful Toronto Maple Leafs if you're Thomas Drance, my co-host here on Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Uh, yeah, I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host, of course, as always, Canucks Insider Thomas Drance. You can also read his work at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. Drancer, I kid, of course, although we did hear the uh, the audio evidence from Chris I like Faber good yesterday. hockey teams. I like good hockey teams. I want to cover it. The Maple Leafs. <laughs> it's so good. But no matter how you feel, no matter how you feel about the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's one of the highlights of the calendar. Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, I know we can get into that whole thing. Saturday night hockey, Canucks, Leafs in town is fun. Even, even when... We had the, we heard your rant on the show yesterday. We all know what this Canucks team is. We're seeing where we we're we're seeing the writing on the wall with this Canucks team in the playoff chase. We see the difference in the standings and the talent differential between the two teams. It's still a blast to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. It always it always is fun to watch. You know those Canadian rivalry games, right? I mean, there's an element of. Um, tribalism that comes out when yep. it comes to two Canadian markets and especially two Canadian markets where they don't play each other a lot. You know, I mean, you feel it still with uh, Calgary and Edmonton, obviously, but it's not the same. It's not the same as Toronto, Montreal. Uh, it's just not because they're original six teams and you don't see them as much. Well, it reminds me a little bit of like in the EPL, there's you get one home game and one away game with right. every other team, right? So that is the one, and it matters a lot. Same thing in college basketball or whatever, right? There's one home game against your big rival, so it, it takes on heightened importance because it doesn't happen all that often. Absolutely. Well, and then and then, I think this game is going to be really interesting because the Canucks are coming off a bad week. Canucks are coming off a particularly bad loss. And so, you know, oftentimes when you get a team that hasn't eaten, right, they're a little bit hungry. Meanwhile, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't know if you saw this, big, big news, but the Board of Governors, I think they're going to approve the sale of the Maple Leafs to Jacob Markstrom, who owns them now. Uh, 46 saves. Uh, did you watch much of that game last night? I caught a little bit of it. Phenomenal hockey. I mean, I thought the hockey was tremendous. Both of those teams were great. I know that the conversation in Toronto now is like, they didn't have the toughness to match up with Zadorov and Goodbranson, a pair of defensemen who Maple Leafs media would probably run out of town if they played for the Leafs, but the... Uh, fact is, is that Jacob Markstrom stopped 46 shots and the Flames got four goals on six shots in the middle of the game. And that was it. That that was it. That was the game. Um, sometimes hockey can be broken down relatively simply. Uh, the Calgary Flames goaltender outplayed the Maple Leafs goaltender in a game that they win six times out of ten, probably, on form. And that means that the Maple Leafs also are going to be looking for a meal, right? They're also going to have not had much in the way of good eating for 48 hours going into this game. So you're going to have two hungry teams, a game that means an awful lot to certainly this city, but also I'd imagine Bruce Boudreau, right? Bruce Boudreau, um, that was an organization that he was linked in during his time in the wilderness between coaching the Wild and the Canucks, a team he played for professionally. I would imagine that he will want to see a good performance out of his players even more so than usual. He always wants that, but I'd, I'd bet he wants that a little bit extra against Ma the Maple Leafs, and fair enough. And so, you know, it has the makings 
of a pretty tasty affair, a pretty tasty Saturday afternoon affair. Now, we all know how I feel about afternoon games. I I hate them. I hate them. But it is worth noting, you know, I heard almost zero complaints about the super late start on Thursday. Okay, I didn't like the super late start. Well, yeah, but, I mean, there wasn't the same flow of outrage on social media, certainly. So it's like, wait, do we not mind changing up the schedule to be inconvenient to accommodate a rights holder unless it's the Maple Leafs? Is it really yeah, only it. for the Toronto sports? That's what? pretty much it. Okay. Here's what I'll say about We don't need to spend the whole episode on the 4 p.m. start thing. I don't have a problem with it at all on the weekend. When it's a Wednesday game and it happens, I get that. And that, that sucks for people who are trying to get home from work, totally. trying to do whatever. That's a, that's a bummer. Yeah. On Saturday, no problem with it. You can flip your schedule to it. You can go out. You can have dinner after. I, I, it's it's the kind of thing where I also don't have a, pe- a problem with people complaining about it because it kind of adds to the rivalry and the spice and it's it's fun just to just to howl about it a little bit. But actually, the the experience of watching the game at four o'clock on a Saturday, no issue with it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it one way or another. I just like to comment on the on the yeah. on the noise. Yeah. Uh, but look, it's going to be a really fun game. I think it's going to be a, a really fun game, and I think it's a good measuring stick game too for a team ahead of. A couple of games in San Jose. You know, the increasing sense around this club and around the industry, right, is that the Canucks may not be um, in a rush, in a rush to make some of the deals. And I think that's a product of having a new look front office all still getting their bearings, getting accustomed to each other, hashing out a plan, a collaborative plan with all the new bodies that Jim Rutherford has brought in. But I also think there's a a desire to see what this team can do, right? They had this eight-game and 16-day stretch. Uh, a little bit of a break after Saturday. I don't think they play again until, is it Thursday? I believe so. Yeah, so they, yeah. they have a little bit of a break, a little bit of time to fine-tune, see yeah. where they're at. Thursday against the Sharks. Yeah, and then they then they go and they play these two California teams that they're presumably chasing in the playoff race, although there is very much a world where none of those three teams make the playoffs, right? I mean, oh, yeah. It's a crowded field for that second wildcard spot. Um, and so as we sort of look through it, um, you know, I, I do think that this game matters uh, for a lot of reasons, for a lot of different people, and, and for Canucks fans especially. And I think it'll be incumbent on the Canucks to match the Leafs' intensity, right? Like, we know the Leafs are going to come out and not want to lose a second in a row to another Canadian opponent. Um, the Canucks should have a big burr in their saddle after that. Both performances, frankly. Both performances against the Coyotes and the and the Islanders. I mean, I'm I'm basically out on them. I'm basically out on them. If, if you haven't heard, we heard. We heard and, yesterday. Um, I noticed no coffee in the studio today. No, so <laughs> we're safe. That, that was because I ran late. Well, I was going to say we're either safe or <laughs> it means you're getting ready for an even bigger one, right? Yeah. You didn't want to have the coffee in the hazard zone. Totally. Uh, the uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, I think it's that we're safe. But the um, you know the fact is is that I think if this team wants to make any late case, any late drive, um, you know the win matters. Like it matters yeah. a lot, and so. It's going to be a fascinating, a fascinating game with some real stakes and two hungry teams you know, on we, Saturday afternoon. You mentioned the stakes and the the interest and the incentives from the Bruce Boudreaux's perspective, which is absolutely right. You know who I, I mean, look, most of the players on the team, you would think, don't are going to have no problem getting up to play the Maple Leafs on Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. You know who I imagine who's been really good lately for the Canucks and who I imagine is pretty interested in this game would be Luke Shen. Because he, way back in the day, remember, was a fifth overall draft pick from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as you mentioned, you know, 
all of a sudden, the do the Leafs have the toughness on the back end to deal with Zadorov and Goodbranson, two guys who might be run out of town in Toronto? Well, you know, you speak of big, physical, old-school defensemen who their time in Toronto didn't necessarily end in the way they would have wanted it to. That's Luke Shen, and I also find it interesting uh, that the Luke Shen to Toronto speculation and trade rumors have picked up, especially in the wake of that Calgary game, which is, I, I think, fascinating from a number of different angles. We've talked a little bit about how much this organization has come to really appreciate what Luke Shen does and the price it would take to pry him away at it'd this deadline. It'd be a lot. It'd be a lot. It'd and be a lot. I, I just find that matchup specifically, you know, his old team, the team that drafted him, the team that traded him away, now they might be interested in reacquiring him. Again, Luke Shen's a gamer. He brings it every night. But I imagine this is a pretty special one for him as well. Uh, you'd think so, yeah. And, and I mean, Luke Shen, yeah, Luke Shen was, uh, you know, it wasn't just Bruce Boudreau comparing Luke Shen to Bobby Orr <laughs> once upon a time in Toronto, right? And yeah. um, so, no, I'm 100%, 100%. And look, there's a lot of Canadian players in general from southern Ontario. You know, uh, Bo Horvat's from that, like, middle zone where, where you're not sure if he roots Tigers or Blue Jays. You have to ask. He do, does root Blue Jays. That typically means grow up a Maple Leafs fan, too, so... Um, you know, there's a lot of Southern Ontario players for whom playing the Maple Leafs, like, they get up for those games. You know what I mean? And and so, you know, and and that's true for the crowd too, right? There's a lot of us who live in Vancouver, grew up in Vancouver, root for the Canucks, but have family, you know, who who hail from Toronto, whether it's a dad or an uncle who's a big Maple Leafs fan. So, and, and we all have that annoying office guy too. Oh, that yeah. one annoying office guy who's a big Leafs fan. At, oh, you know the, what? I don't know that we do have a Leafs fan here at 650. Okay. Oh yeah, except sure. for you, obviously. Sure. Um, so, um, so other than me, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. But everyone has that one annoying office Leafs fan, and no one wants to hear that guy talk on Monday if the Canucks don't no. show up, play well, get a dub against the Maple Leafs on Saturday afternoon. Jason Dickinson, another uh, Southern Ontario guy, and a guy yep. you know who hasn't has necessarily had the season he wanted to here in Vancouver. Would love to turn that around. You would think Saturday against the Leafs. Speaking of Jason Dickinson, the Canucks uh, practice finished practicing. They're out at eight rinks earlier this morning. Your colleague at the Athletic, Harmon Dial, was there, tweeted out a bit of a new-look lineup that the Canucks were running with. Uh, top line, Bo Horvat centering JT Miller and Brock Besser, so that's immediately interesting with JT Miller moving back to the wing. Not the lotto line reu- uh, reunion, though. It's with Horvat in the middle of Miller and Besser. Pod Colson, Patterson, and Hoaglander staying together. No surprise there, given how they've performed in their time as a unit. Tanner Pearson with Jason Dickinson and Connor Garland becomes your third line. And then Mott, Lamico and Chason rounds out the forward group. We can get into the D pairings a little bit later, but just looking at that new look forward group for the Canucks transfer, I mean, the obvious thing that stands out is JT Miller back to the wing and Jason Dickinson down the middle, which we haven't seen a lot of in recent weeks. The other thing that really jumps out to me is using Bo Horvat in a no doubt about it, clear cut, number one center offensive opportunities role, right? Which we haven't seen a lot of in recent seasons for Bo Horvat. He's, this year, he's had more capable offensive, talented wingers that he's been able to play with, but he's getting a chance to, as I said, skate with the best, the best, most consistent forward on the team in JT Miller and another guy that the team certainly wants to be a consistent first-line player in Brock Besser. That's a really interesting configuration, I think, probably to try to boost Bo Horvat, but just to see 
what that option looks like as well with Horvat in that role. Well, and remember when Miller was originally requ- acquired, the headline in Vancouver was Bo Horvat finally gets, winger. gets winger. <laughs> and then they've barely played together outside of the power play and maybe on the penalty kill here and there. Um, you know, they've, they've spent more time denying friction between them than they have <laughs> skating his line mates at five on five. And so, you know, it, look, it's an interesting combination. I, I like the thing I like about a Besser Horvat Miller line in my mind's eye is you've got a guy who's going to carry the puck a lot and and set up like have the opportunity to set up players in in JT Miller you've got a guy in Brock Besser who can make creative plays help you sustain possession and I think putting Bo Horvat in a in a role where you know a large part of what you you'll want from him with that combo is to retrieve pucks um, you know, be really strong below the hash marks and do some of the Bo Horvat stuff that he does best. Uh, putting him with Miller, a, a natural distributor, um, you know, that might be a really good fit for him stylistically and, and not something that he's necessarily got to do a lot of, benefited a lot from over the years, right? When Horvat's had extended stretches with line mates, they've been guys who tend to play in straight lines. They've been Tanner Pearson. They tend to be in that mold. Um you know, other than in Besser's rookie year, and I guess before that with Sven Berchi, right? I don't know that you've seen Horvat play with a guy who distributes the puck the way Miller does, at least not for an extended stretch. And I like that stylistic fit as an opportunity for him. Pedersen, Pod Coles, and Hoaglander, though, is now the line that I'm like putting on watch as something that I'm actually excited about and right. not excited about on paper from from not the same way that fans are like, that line will be great. Like, I just thought that they throttled the Islanders. We've seen a proof of concept from we, them. We, we've now seen proof of concept, and not just in that Islanders game, but I did think they took it to another level in that in that Islanders game. There is something there that I now want to see, like, 250 minutes of before it ever gets dismantled again. Um, particularly when you consider that the senior member of the line is 23 years old, right? Just, like, let's see that. Give me 250 minutes of that line before before we see it tweaked, uh, unless you're, like, trailing and really want to put Pedersen with Miller and Besser or something. Um, I want to see that line get an extended run, and I want to see them get leaned on heavily in the event that the Canucks are down, especially at any point. I would have loved to have seen them play a lot more in the third period against the Islanders, for example. Well, with uh, with all the Cammy Granato talk and then just talking about what all the things that went so wrong against the Islanders, I don't think we even mentioned that you know Pedersen kept his uh, scoring streak alive and, and got a goal against the Islanders. That line, you know, when it looked like the comeback was on, that line was hugely instrumental in making that happen. And you talk about potential fits for Elias Pettersson going forward. And when you just think about the upside of those three players, obviously we all know about Elias Pettersson, Pod Colson, 10th overall pick, Hoaglander, a high second round pick. We've seen the kind of skill he has. So the upside of that line we know is of all three players is really high. But you also just think as we talk about the salary cap and the the issues with flexibility that the team has, well, those are two of the cheap young players that the Canucks have. Those are the two cheap young forwards that they have on the roster right now, and there's not a lot coming in the pipeline. So if you can solve the how do we get the most out of Elias Pettersson question with players who are you know going to give you surplus value for the near future here, players that, are, again, are very affordable on your cap sheet, 
not that they have that extra salary cap to spend elsewhere, but if they can clear up space, right, you solve this issue on the cheap with an effective trio of young, high upside forwards, that's the kind of thing that can give you a big leg up when you're yeah. looking to fill out the rest of the roster. If you have a $9.5 million second line, you're yeah. laughing. Yeah, and you don't, laughing. you don't have to go into free agency or the trade market thinking, okay, can we find a winger to play with Pedersen? Because uh, you've got the two cheap ones in-house. Yeah, so so see it. Let's see it. that. That's That fits, too, with my, my rant. My I want to see Lockwood. I want to see Rathbone. I want to see that line. I want to see 250 this. games or 250 minutes together before it's tweaked. Just give them an extended run. Let's see if let's see if there's something there, something that can get cooking between that trio for sure. And then you go to Dickinson, Pearson, and Garland, and you've got sort of a pretty classic third line formation. Dickinson moving back to the middle somewhere he hasn't had a ton of success, but they do need to find a way to get him going over the second half. He is a better player. Uh, than he has been for this team, in my opinion. I'm still, like, way higher on Dickinson than most, but I also think he's running out of time to show that he's worth this contract. And and so this latter stretch of games, particularly if he can settle into some kind of role, he doesn't have to contribute offensively, but just limit the damage, help your line come out even, um, face tough comp if you need to, and, and just win enough draws that you can look like a center. I mean, that's a, that's a really big opportunity for him. Now, Dowling cleared waivers today there obviously are some guys close to returning Matthew Highmore technically could come out of COVID protocol in time to play against the Maple Leafs although my understanding is that that's somewhat unlikely um, the way that you test out in terms of your levels has to get below a certain uh, threshold and it's just that's up in the air you know it's really uncertain as you get close to the, and we've seen guys sort of linger in protocol longer than the five days for this reason. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with Highmore. In the event that he does get out of protocol in time to play, he won't have really been on the ice in five days. Not the ideal situation for for him, right? I, I don't know that it's fair to him to just throw him in the lineup as much as they do need what he brings, his speed um, in particular, but also the work ethic and the ability to complement um, Highmore, or sorry, Lamico and, and Mott. I guarantee you, Bruce Boudreau would love to oh, have that line in his back especially pocket, especially against the Leafs yeah. going into that game. You know, we've talked a little bit about Alex Chason. It just completely changes the complexion of how you can use that line. We, we saw why Bruce Boudreau fell in love with that group. You just sub Highmore out for Chason, and it just becomes a completely different thing. You completely can't different, use it in it's, the same way. It's a fourth line, yeah, as it's, opposed it's to just as a normal opposed to the line. Canucks' third line, yeah, as opposed to a matchup line that you feel confident putting out there in different scenarios. So, so I I don't expect him to play. I don't think the Dowling in the event that Dowling is in fact reassigned having cleared waivers my read is not going to be that that means that Highmore is back it's going to be more that Hamannick is back uh, and we'll see Hamannick skated with the club again today uh, Bruce Boudreaux has probably already spoken but we'll spoke, speak shortly and you'll hear some of his commentary yep. on this radio station as the afternoon proceeds and um, you know I would assume we'll get some kind of an update on on Hamannick and Highmore but in the event that Dowling goes down to the American League, my read is going to be that Hamannick plays on Saturday. Um, Canucks could certainly use that, especially considering the defensive effort on uh, Wednesday night against the Islanders, and frankly, on Tuesday against the Arizona Coyotes. Um, so so it'll be uh, very interesting to monitor if Hamannick gets into his 10th game. Yeah, as you said, Hamannick was on the ice with the team at practice today. So just to talk about what we did see, and again, this is courtesy of uh, your athletic colleague Harmon Dial, 
from the defensive pairs, obviously still without Quinn Hughes, which is, you know, that's a big loss every game in particular against a team as offensively talented as the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're really going to feel that absence. The only pair that was consistently together at practice today was one that's being reunited in Oliver ekman Larson and Tyler Myers. And that stands out to me because I think both players have been noticeably off their game since they've been separated in the absence of Quinn Hughes. So getting them together, I think makes a lot of sense. Now the issue is, you know, here are the other pieces you have to work with then when you're fleshing out your defense, it's Hamannick, Juleson, Burroughs, Hunt, and Shen. And again, according to, to Harmon, they were basically just rotating all of those guys together into different pairs. So you couldn't really get a read on how they're going to line up tomorrow, but Okay, OEL and Myers makes a lot of sense to put them together, try to get the most out of both of those players going into the game against the Leafs. But, man, trying to build out the rest of your defense core for the game on Saturday with, again, it's Hamannick, Juleson, Burroughs, Hunt, Shen. You miss Quinn Hughes every game he's not there. Man, that blue line is just crying out for a Quinn Hughes-like presence to to stabilize it a little bit. Well, and you got to watch for the speed. Like, one thing that the Arizona Coyotes were able to do was generate chances off the Canucks' struggles to break the puck out without Quinn Hughes, right? One thing that the New York Islanders were able to do was punish the Canucks' aggressive forecheck with their D sort of failing to rotate and, and get back um, as the Islanders just repeatedly hit the Canucks on the counter and generated chance after chance in that manner. In both areas, Quinn Hughes's feet are sorely, sorely missed by the Canucks. And now you're going up against Austin Matthews and his line mates. And Austin Matthews might be the single hardest player to pass the puck around in the NHL right now, right? It, we all know about the shot. We all know about the goals. But the thing that makes Matthews really special right now is... He forechecks like Evgeny Malkin used to. Evgeny Malkin used to do this a lot, too. He'd, like, forecheck like a shortstop. Like, he'd just, like, kind of get in the way of pucks if they were off the ice. He'd just kind of, like, go and try and shoulder check it down, you know, glove it down if he could. Like, he he uses his whole bo- he used his whole body in this really assertive way. And in Evgeny Malkin's case, it was a really large body. And uh, managed to create a ton of opportunities that way. Austin Matthews has that in his game, and he's brought it on a very consistent basis, he has become the hardest player to pass around in the league. By uh, Not close. It's honestly not close. If you're watching across the league right now, the way that Austin Matthews just is so disruptive to everything a team does. So, you know, trying to keep him off the score sheet, it's not necessarily as much about defensive play as it is making good decisions, managing the puck right. Um Obviously, you also have to do the other things because he's really good. But that's one area where what I'd watch for on Saturday. I think he can do some damage against the Canucks, particularly absent Quinn Hughes with that facet of his game in particular. Yeah, and as you said, especially in the absence of Quinn Hughes, who is the by far the Canucks' most reliable breakout option on the back end. They are certainly going to miss him once again. Uh, on Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Drancer, a bit of a curveball to throw at you here. Valentine's Day is coming up on Monday. Sportsnet 650 has partnered with Calia Flowers to award a luxury bouquet delivery of $100 value. So if you're out there and if you're wondering, oh man, what am I going to do for Valentine's Day? We have got you covered. Again, a luxury flower bouquet delivery of $100 value, courtesy 
of Calia flowers. And we were told we can award this prize today in whatever method we see fit. So keeping with the Valentine's Day theme, here's what we're going to do. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. So what I want you to do, and, and don't worry, it's going to start very uh, very sentimental for your taste to answer, but I'll turn it around. So 650-650, either, either send in the moment that made you fall in love with the Canucks, hockey, your favorite team, the NHL, whatever it is. The moment that made you fall in love with the Canucks or hockey. Or if you're feeling in a, a less sunny, sentimental mode, mood, you can send in your most heartbreaking Canucks NHL moment. But here's the deal. We all know 2011 was heartbreaking. We all know 1994 was heartbreaking. So a non-Stanley Cup final heartbreaking moment, okay? Because I don't want to deal with, you know, five dozen 2011 texts. We get right. it. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. So choose something else. Choose like, a non-Stanley Cup final. Why don't, why don't final. we do positive? Why don't we stay on the positive right. side? Let's right. stay on there the positive side. Valentine's Day is a time for love and for showing affection and for recognizing and celebrating that affection, the union that people have between one another. And as Canucks fans, we all have a union with one another, uh, you know, Absolutely. for better and often for worse. So there you go. So ba- Bound together by our mutual self-loathing and uh, and... And trying to enjoy... Sense of doom. And just, yeah, fatalistic sense of doom. Yeah. And trying to enjoy that together, right? Getting a sense of community from the inevitable inevitable heartbreak. So let's stick with something positive. Like, I like the moment All right. that, that people felt... Like, for me, for me, I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, obviously it was like Pavel Bure seeing Pavel wow. Bure live when I was seven years old. Yeah. That was a game changer for me. And right. then and then that sort of understanding the the... Love of the game grew over time as I saw how much it moved people in this community. I remember the 2002 Olympic win and being downtown with my dad while horns are honking and everyone's flipping out. Loved that. That was great. And that was a that was a huge moment for me, too. Um, so those would be like two that stand out for me. That's what I, that's what we want in the text message. All right. Inbox. So send in the moment that made you fall in love with the Canucks. I'll take fall in love with hockey in general as well. 650, 650 for your chance to win a hundred dollar luxury bouquet delivery that for is Valentine's win. Day. That's a good prize. That's a really, really good I prize. I could use that. From Calia Flowers. Again, so if, if even if you don't win, it is super easy to order online from Calia, C-A-L-L-I-A dot com. You can order in just a few clicks. 100% guaranteed delivery, even on the same day. So don't worry, it's not too late to get this lined up for Monday. Always fresh, always on time, always guaranteed. Visiting now. And they have luxury bouquets, including roses, eucalyptus, Ooh. and more. Eucaly- I, I know roses. I, I can't picture a eucalyptus bouquet in my head, but I'm sure it looks absolutely lovely. Good for a sunburn, too. Just crack <laughs> yes, it open. That's right. Throw it all over your skin. That's right. Again, we want the moment that made you uh, fall in love for your chance to win the luxury bouquet delivery. The moment that made you fall in love with the Canucks, 650, 650. Mine, I mean, this is, we're the, we're basically the same age. So, like, yeah, it's Pavel Burry. Yeah. You, you see Pavel Burry play hockey for the team that's in your city. And you're like, well, this is awesome. This is the this coolest is great. thing ever. Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, I guess I'll keep doing this. Well, and then, so I have this other moment. Uh, this is the moment that I wanted to be in hockey media. So in 1997, 1997, my uh, dad had won a raffle item that permitted me to have a media experience, a media experience as a child. So me and my dad go to the Canucks game, and it's a Canucks-Sabers game, and it's a game where Lindy Ruff and Mike Keenan both throw out, like, an entire line of goons, and, like, it narrowly avoids a line brawl because Matthias Oland took a dirty hit and was concussed in that game. Um, Brad May did something to Rob Ray that they were mad about each other for years afterwards, like 15 years of beef lingered from that game. I actually had, I've had an opportunity to talk to both about them. It highlighted my career. And so after the game, 
we go down to go into the locker room, which is part of the media experience. And I'm standing there, and you can just hear Mike Keenan tearing a strip <laughs> off the team from, from the hallway of Rogers Arena. And this poor, like, you know, partnerships uh, employee for the Canucks just, like, left with this kid who's like, what's going on? Um, to try to amuse me. I uh, went and brought some healthy scratches by to sign the, I think it was a jersey that I had. And w- uh, one of them, one of them super nice, was like the kindest person ever walks away. And my dad goes, who is that? And I go, I'm pretty sure it was Marcus Nasland. <laughs> so Nasland was a scratch that night. Um, anyway, I remember seeing Dave Pratt do his stand-up and thinking, that's really cool. So I think that was another one for me. That There's my, there's my like official it. entry, if I can get the... <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. That's not how it works. You're, you're a 650 uh, paid <laughs> contributor, so well, We'll eligible. find a winner. We'll find a winner. But, no. but come share your stories with us. What, yeah. do you, what, do you, what made you fall in love with the Canucks? They're pouring in already. Uh, we'll choose a break, but don't worry. We'll choose a winner here in a few minutes, but don't worry. you still got lots of time to get your submission in 650-650 for a chance to win a luxury bouquet from Calia Flowers just in time for Valentine's Day, the moment that made you fall in love with the Vancouver Canucks. Lots more chatter coming up on the other side. We'll hear from coach Bruce Boudreaux as well as the Canucks are getting set to play the Maple Leafs tomorrow. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It is the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. 50, your home of the Canucks, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz, Canucks Insider here with you for another half hour, a very special edition uh, of Canucks Hour, I must say, Drancer, an early Valentine's Day edition, because if you were listening on the other side, we were asking for your, your the moment that you fell in love with the Vancouver Canucks, 650-650, because we do have a fantastic prize, a $100 luxury bouquet delivery giveaway uh, from Calia Flowers, just in time for Valentine's Day on Monday. We were getting some fantastic, fantastic submissions. Uh, keep them coming in. We'll choose a winner here in a few minutes. We're going to hear from uh, <coughs> from Bruce Boudreaux in a few minutes as well. He spoke to the media after Canucks practice here, but I did want to read some of the good ones that have come in so far. I, I mean, this one is fantastic. It's uh, from CJ in the work truck. He says, I fell in love with the Canucks the moment I saw Dave Babich's glittering eyes above his lovely mustache. Love at first sight. <laughs> That is a common story, a common, <laughs> a common tale in the Lower Mainland. That mustache was truly one of the greatest oh, in mean, hockey history. It, it's one of the best looks. Yeah, I mean, maybe Lanny McDonald. Yeah, but it's like Lanny McDonald. It's up there. Lanny McDonald probably won because of the of the um, how unique it is, and because of that iconic photo of him holding the Stanley Cup. But I think Dave Babich is a strong number two with a bullet. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, speaking of classic tales, right, we're getting a lot. This one's from Hockey Jedi Jeff. says, Game 7, double overtime in 1994. Jeff Brown to Pavel Bure to win the series. That moment made me fall in love with the Canucks forever. I said just Pavel Bure in general on the when we were setting it up as mine. But if I had to specifically zero in on one moment, I think it would be that winner against Calgary. Uh, for, me. for me, it was the quick Greg Adams winner. Just a few days earlier, you know, like Bure had captured my attention that season, um, especially because I saw them live a couple times and I was like, Pavel, wow. But that Greg Adams winner was the thing that like got me hooked. Like, I don't think I'd ever sat down to watch a full hockey game until right the, until the Brown to Bure um, moment. But it was the quick overtime goal that sort of wet my appetite. That's how I recall it anyway. 
as uh, a seven-year-old. Speaking of Greg Adams, of course, no surprise that uh, this uh, we have a texture says being at Game Five versus Toronto in '94 for the famous Greg Adams goal. Which, if you were at the game, you wouldn't have heard it in real time. But of course, the famous Greg Adams call from Jim Robson. He says, "I fell in love with the Nucks from that night on as a little guy." I wanted to read. Uh, this one as well. Brendan texts in, uh, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, my story is about Gino Ojik. I was seven when I went to my first game. The only thing I remember is the crowd chanting, Gino, Gino, Gino. I asked my dad why they were chanting that, and he casually explained that they wanted Gino to fight the player that had just hit a Canuck. I don't love fighting that much anymore, but that grabbed my attention at the time, and I never looked back. That I can just imagine that memory of hearing the whole crowd chanting for this guy's name at seven years and be like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, I mean, I was at the game that Gino scored his last Canucks goal at, and and there was a big chant to Gino. He'd scored late in the second, I think it was like a, to give the Canucks a 4-1 lead or something. I remember some young gentleman uh, behind us being like, thanks, Gino, now we can go continue our Saturday night. <laughs> and I just <laughs> thought that was very odd at the time. Now I'd understand it, but at the time I was like, why would anyone leave a hockey game? <laughs> this is amazing. Team's up. Come on. Now now, now it makes more sense to me. I still wouldn't do it, but it makes more sense yeah, to me. Yeah, I get it. Uh, all right, we will, uh, we will read some more submissions and pick our winner in a few minutes here. 650-650, keep them coming in. But as promised, here is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux with his comments after team's practice today. All right, we're joining now. Bruce, uh, you were trying out a new top line there. Just your thoughts on putting Horvat, Miller, and Besser together. Um, quite frankly, is, is I like the way uh, Hoglander um, and um, Pot Colson played with Petey. So uh, Petey in the middle, and that would, uh, uh, you know, you still have to have one of those guys on left wing for a top six line. And, and with Dickinson going back into the middle and Lamico in the middle, it just thought, you know, that Millsy's played a lot of left wing, and, and I thought it would be a good time to put that line together, you know. And uh, we see Hamnick skating in a full practice, finally rotating in. What What's the sort of plan for him? Might, might he play tomorrow? Uh, he's going to be a game-time decision for tomorrow. Um, definitely be able to play next week, but uh, game-time decision for tomorrow. We'll go to Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, you've spoken uh, in the last few days about how much you've admired what uh, Kyle Burroughs and Luke Shen have given you. Uh, when you have a player like Hamnick, who hasn't been uh, in the lineup very much, back available, how hard is it uh, for you or is it hard uh, to make a hole in the lineup if he's ready to play? Well, not right now. It's not hard. I mean, um, you know, he's a top, he's a definitely a top six defenseman. And I mean, uh, Burroughs is pushing his way in there. Luke Shen's been a top six defenseman for us all year. So, I mean, we still got, you know, Juleson, um, being a, a call up and he's played, you know, uh, one real good game, one not so real good game. And Brad Hunt has always been a six, seven. So, I mean, uh, I don't think it's going to be a problem putting a uh, hammer in at all. Thank you. We'll go to Rob Simpson, Vancouver Hockey Now. Hey, Gabby, how fired up are you for this Leafs matchup? I know, you know, hometown teen and all that after all these years, but just the fact that they're they're high caliber. caliber And what's that? 
we play the Leafs tomorrow? Yeah, I'm just talking about <laughs> I'm just talking about the enthusiasm oh. factor, uh, getting fired up for this thing, and for all the various reasons. No, you know what? Uh, I think remember uh, that ship sailed a little bit. I mean, I was the last time I was with them in '81. Um, so I mean, I've got more other teams that uh, I dislike more than them now. So. <laughs> So, I mean, I, all I know about them is I watch all their games um, and there'll be a lot of people watching from home. So that's uh, so you want to put your best foot forward a- against that team. Yeah, well, the Canucks fans definitely, they might be the most hated club on the on, for the fans. So in terms of atmosphere, it should be a dandy. Mm, I mean, how many people are we allowed? Let me interview you. How many people are we allowed in tomorrow? That's a great question. I wish I had the answer for you. Because it looked like Calgary was a full house last night. Just, just saying. Okay. Alberta, Alberta and BC might be operating under different uh, standards, and I don't know the answer. Okay. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow about it, and I'll ask you again. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Coach. How's the enthusiasm today? And I'm sorry I couldn't get there. I, you know what? I think it's, uh, I think it's good. I think. Uh, you know, I mean, we're looking forward to the challenge of playing arguably one of the top four teams in the NHL. Uh, easily one of the top two teams offensively, I think, in the NHL. So it's going to be a great challenge, and uh, hopefully we're up to the task. That is Coach Bruce Boudreaux having some fun, having some fun with the media towards the end there, talking about the matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, playing it a little bit coy, saying, ah, you know what, yeah, I used to play for the team, but I've played for a lot of other teams, but also I watch every game, and there's going to be a lot of people watching this one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sure, bud. (laughs) I, um, I think Bruce is a very good coach, and he should stick to coaching as opposed to interviewing. That's my other feedback. You don't think he's coming for your job? I think he's very, very good on a panel, and I think he's very good at winning hockey games. <laughs> but the, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, w- w- is Alberta different capacity? Well, didn't they? I know they just. Uh, to be honest, I am having trouble keeping up with every different provinces. Me too. Uh, you know, constantly changing. But I know Alberta just uh, announced a bunch of new regulations. I think they might have increased their capacity already. Eh? Yeah. Good for them. I mean, it'll be. Uh... Yeah, it'll be good when um, it'll be good when we're back to something like normal at Rogers Arena, and I would expect it to come relatively soon from how everyone's talking, and that'll be fun. The environment, though, I thought the, like I thought the fans kept the Canucks in the Islanders game to a large extent. I thought that building was louder for longer than it had any right to be, considering the performance on the ice. What, I, I was really impressed. Just fifty percent capacity games when good things are happening, you don't notice it at all. Right? right, like when when the crowd has legitimate, exciting reasons to cheer, it sounds really loud, and they're doing their part and they're carrying. I imagine there are other moments, kind of more mundane moments in the course of the game, where you do notice it a little bit. But if this is a good game tomorrow, still 50%, especially against the Leafs, still fifty percent, still fifty percent through the end of February in uh, in Calgary and masks still required. Just just so they that did, so um, that we all have the facts. There is actually very little difference, and in fact, they just restored. Um, services in terms of alcohol like food and beverage uh at the games which never left in vancouver so um just to just to make sure that we do in fact clarify the factual um the factual circumstances on the ground is that bc's actually had a more lenient policy as regards to canucks games than alberta has for uh flames and oilers games um and that and that 
is that I mean that wasn't true yesterday where at least they were serving again, but um, that has been true for much of the past three four weeks as the Canucks have played four home games anyway. So the other you know issues put to Bruce Boudreau there and his his brief chat with the media after practice today. One just asked about the the new look forward group and specifically moving Miller to the wing, playing with Horvat. And Besser, and we chatted a little bit about that. And from Boudreaux's perspective, really, it just comes down to, well, we're playing Pedersen down the middle now as well. And we want Dickinson to try to, you know, use him in a bit of a different role, get him back to the middle. So you kind of need to move somebody to the wing to have that legit top six scoring group. And, you know, in this case, it ends up being JT Miller. And, you know, as much as JT Miller has performed in... Every different scenario that the Canucks have put him in and every different configuration of line mates that he's played with this year. I know you are very much of the belief, Drancer, that his optimal position is on the wing. Yeah, I think he drives play far better on the wing. I think it suits his skill set better to be on the wing, too. I, I like him better along the wall. I think it forces him to make quicker decisions, and, and I think when JT Miller's making quick decisions, he makes better decisions. So, yeah, no, I think that'll be a interesting look. And... You know, it's going to be really fascinating to see because I, I would expect, too, one thing about loading up your top line, right, with a bunch of guys you trust as two-way pieces, is that helps you perhaps match up against Matthews and Marner, right? I mean, that's the that's the first order of business when you play the Leafs. Like, your your goal is to make it so that John Tavares and William Nylander beat you. And John Tavares and William Nylander are capable of beating a lot of teams, but... Austin Matthews is capable of beating everyone. He's the guy you don't want to be decisive on Saturday. Maybe a Miller-Horvat-Besser line helps you achieve that. And I, I do think it's also a good spot for Horvat to get him going offensively a bit. I, I think there's a, a look to that line, a calibration of that line that I really like. And the other thing that caught my ear just listening to Boudreaux there was, you know, asked if he had any concerns about getting Hamannick back into the lineup given just how little hockey he's played and the amount of time that he's been out the uncertainty surrounding his status for so long we obviously don't know if Travis Hamanick is going to return it remains to be seen what his status is for tomorrow's game against the Leafs and Boudreaux said you know what no I'm not worried about getting him back out there but at the same time there has to be you at least have to be realistic I think about what you're asking of Travis Hamanick because he has been out for a very long time and he has not played a lot of hockey this year. And I think inevitably it's going to take a little bit of time for him to find his rhythm and get back up to speed. Well, and we've seen what that looks like, right? I mean, repeatedly we've seen what that looks like. The, the month of January 2021 was his worst month of the season and then he got stronger, right, as he uh, got some reps and as he got his playing legs back under him. So... I wouldn't be surprised by a similar storyline this year, except that, you know, with only nine games under his belt this season, if he's going to finish in a way that either lends the Canucks confidence that he can be part of the answer on the right side next season or, uh, you know, create some sort of asset value for them so that they have options, um, you know, he's going to need to play pretty well over the balance. He doesn't really, they don't really have time to wait for him to find his, uh, his sea legs, as it were. So we'll see where this goes, but, um, you know, the Hamannick tell will be Dowling. If Dowling goes down, like, when players are on COVID protocol, as Quinn Hughes is, right, and uh, and Matthew Highmore as well, they come off the roster in terms of creating a space, but they don't come off the cap, right? So they've got, with Hughes plus Highmore, you've got almost $8.5 million in dead cap. You basically have to get Dowling off the roster to activate Hamannick from a space 
um, standpoint. So the tell will be if you see news later today that Dowling has been reassigned or if you see tomorrow that Dowling has been reassigned. That will tell you what you need to know in terms of Hamannick's status even before it becomes clear during the warm-up skate whether he's in or not. Yeah, and again, just to get keep, get people caught up, what was happening with the defensive pairs at practice today it was OEL and Myers together, and then the other five were just rotating through on different pairs. So that's Hamannick, Juleson, Burroughs, Hunt, Shen. No set pairings out of those five, just a rotation and a mix-and-match situation. So Bruce Boudreau and the coaching staff playing it a little close to the vest, maybe still tinkering, figuring out what they want to do ahead of tomorrow night's matchup with the Maple Leafs. All right, we were talking about it earlier in the show. Chance to win a luxury bouquet delivery courtesy of Calia Flowers. $100 value. And again, Calia, super easy easy to order online in just a few clicks at Calia.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-A. 100% guaranteed delivery, even on the same day. Always fresh, always on time, always guaranteed. Luxury bouquets, including roses, eucalyptus, and more. We ask you to send in the moment in honor of Valentine's Day, in the spirit of Valentine's Day. Tell us the moment you fell in love with the Vancouver Canucks. And our winner today, very pleased to announce our winner, is Adam and Burnaby. His submission, chosen by our fantastic producer, Chris Faber. I fell in love with Canucks during the West Coast Express era, seeing Nasland in his prime had me spending countless hours in the garage working on the wrist shot. And did that, uh, <laughs> did that you know, trigger a memory and uh, something that you recognize in yourself there, Faber? Yeah. You know, growing up on road hockey, everyone, if they know my body type, would expect that I would have been a Bertuzzi fan. <laughs> but back in the day, on the old Harewood Elementary streets, people knew me as Marcus Nazem with the shot that I had. <laughs> it was a sniper's shot. So this, uh, this one tug on my... Heartstrings a little bit. We, here have, as we I might have to get a fact club. check on that from an elementary school. <laughs> yeah. uh, did did How... people know you as Marcus Naslund? <laughs> Guys, call me Naslund. Call me Marcus Naslund. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? I appreciate that. I think uh, Chris Faber, the most lethal, the most lethal Absolutely. ball hockey wrist shot on the island growing up. I, I you know what? I've heard that. I've heard that. So uh, fifty-six goals in the Uvic Intramural League, twenty twelve. <laughs> Nobody. If that I tell you, if that was on Elite Prospects, I'd be getting a call last year to come play for the Canucks. I just love the idea that you're the only one keeping stats in that league as well. They're like, Faber, how do you know how many goals you scored, man? What are you, what are you doing with the pen and paper over there, buddy? Uh, Marcus Naslin's prime years are massively underrated as we look through the annals of hockey history. There was like a three, four year stretch there where he was, you know, the NHL's points leader, basically, up there with uh, Jerome McGinley every year. Every year, Nasland and Jerome McGinley, two Western Canadian superstars battling for scoring supremacy in the NHL. Um, there's not a lot of Canucks players who have hit that level of dominance. It's one thing that I sort of have talked about a lot because you remember Nasland's jersey retirement was like a little bit controversial when it happened. I don't think it's controversial now, but at the time, people were like, well, what, what did he do in right. the playoffs? And it's like, well, you know, in the annals of Canucks history, you've really had only five players play their prime years here and be elite, elite, like the best in the NHL at what they did. And the list is Bure, number one, right? The Sedin Twins, so two and three. Roberto Luongo and Marcus Naslin. Like, that's it. I know there's guys who are more beloved. There's... Uh, guys who have been, you know, local fixtures, people who had bigger moments in the playoffs, maybe scored bigger goals, your Jeff Cortnells, your Trevor Lindens, your Stan Smeals. But in terms of players who were the best in the world 
while wearing Vancouver Canucks players and played their prime years here because we're definitely not counting Messier. Um, those five, that's the list. That's the list. And Naslin's not fit. Uh, within that group, he was the best scorer in the world for a pro- prolonged stretch. And one thing that's interesting, Faber, how old are you? Uh, 28. 28. So uh, the NHL players, I remember it was uh, two years ago when the Canucks had Nasland in the building alongside uh, Linden. Remember when he made his return and Stan Smeal to do the new banner unveils for the... For the Sedins. For the, well, for the Sedins. It was Sedin week, but it was the banner unveils. Right. And... So you've got all these guys walking down the hallway, and it's the Nashville Predators. And the Nashville Predators had a bevy of Western Canadian kids on the in the lineup, right? It was Kyle Turris at the time. It was uh, – what's their defensive center name? Named? Colton He's Sissons. A, Colton Sissons. Uh, and then a bunch of Swedes, Philip Forsberg, Ekholm, all those guys. And I just like the, – they're doing a drill as Nasland walks by. Like not a drill. They're doing like warm-up, you know, the, the anaerobic warm-ups uh, pregame outside the locker room. And the amount of, like, starstruck NHL players seeing Marcus Nasland was this really eye-opening moment for me because, you know, it would it's like how I would have reacted to seeing Bure. You know what I mean? It was this moment where I realized how important the West Coast Express was for today's NHL players, right? That, And I remember I brought that to Troy Stetcher, and he was like, my favorite hockey memory growing up is Jovo in the box, right? Jovo in the box. That was, like, his moment. Um, so for... Western Canadian and Swedish kids of a certain age, right? The West Coast Express has had a long tail uh, in terms of a legacy of playing entertaining hockey, and, and I think that's just cool. So congratulations to Adam and Burnaby, and thank you for giving us an excuse to uh, reminisce about Marcus Naslin for, for a few minutes. Adam and Burnaby, you've won a luxury bouquet delivery from Calia Flowers. Need a last-minute Valentine's Day gift? Order online for delivery today at Calia.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-A. Dot com And just quickly on Marcus Naslin before we had to break here, I think part of the lack of appreciation that creeps in sometimes is when he was leading the league in scoring and one of the most dominant scorers in the league, offense as a whole was down, right? This was before the totally, offensive yeah. explosion after the lockout. So you look at the numbers and compare them to other eras and they don't pop off your screen when you're in hockey DB in the same way. But relative to the rest of the league, it was a legitimately dominant stretch for Marcus Naslin. I think if you put it in the proper context, it, it makes it all that more impressive what he accomplished there. No question. Uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. It should be a fun one. We're back on Monday for more Canucks Hour. The People's Show with Bick and Randeep is up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.